With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. One for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Condon, welcome back. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. On the FM dial, 106.3. Welcome to the uh, program. Governor Kim Rendell scheduled to speak for the first time this week. We uh, have committed to carrying those press conferences. We will do so uh, as long as she takes the stage. And she's scheduled to do so, right? Yeah. He uh, On Tuesday, she was up in God's country. She went to Osage. That's right. She uh, met the vice president who mm-hmm. flew into Mason City Municipal Airport. I don't think that's an international one up in Mason City, but was up in North Iowa Tuesday with their I scheduled wonder, press conference. plane size-wise, if that was, is that, I mean, that the biggest plane that's ever landed there? I don't know. Well, presidents have come there before. I remember that a big deal. In fact, Air I Force One has come in there? Yes. Has George it? Bush making his way in. First George Bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he did, had a little parade going through Osage. I was in elementary school. And he had a speaker coming out of the limo or whatever car he was in. And he said, go Twins, as I was wearing my Twins hat that day. We're talking probably 1989, I want to say, right in that range. So I got a shout out from the president. Of course you did. Not bad. Not bad. Well done. He was a baseball guy. Well, of course he was. Yeah. yeah. Big baseball guy. Played baseball. Uh, there's a picture picture of him with his old baseball glove. Yes. I think he's a lefty. Wasn't he a lefty? I believe he was a lefty. Army? Or was it an Ivy League school? No, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I remember that picture very vividly. Yeah, me too. Me too. One of those kind of lasting images mm-hmm. that stay with you. And then he passed it on to his son because mm-hmm. after 9-11, when uh, Junior threw a strike yeah. right down the middle, one of the most incredible memories uh, I have of him. Anyways, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds coming to the stage. We will carry her press conference. We're going to talk Big 12 with Pete Mundo. But right now, here's Kim Reynolds. Uh, Earlier this week, I had the honor to join Vice President Pence in Forest City to acknowledge and thank the leaders and the workers at Winnebago, a homegrown Iowa manufacturer and an iconic American brand. Like many companies, they were forced to suspend operations shortly after the onset of COVID-19, but they absolutely did not sit idle. Instead, they used their industrial sewing operation to make masks to support our state and regional response efforts. But in a matter of weeks, Winnebago began the process of safely reopening, putting people back to work, getting production back up to speed, and helping Iowa and our nation get rolling again. The same story has played out across Iowa, from large manufacturers like Winnebago to Main Street businesses like the East Bremer Diner in Waverly which through a combination of social media savvy and a committed community, they turned their carryout business into a thriving and sustainable model, even providing delivery nights to neighboring communities in Bremer and Blackhawk counties. 
Nationwide, there are signs that America is on the road to recovery. 2.5 million new jobs were reported in May. Employment increased significantly in leisure and hospitality, construction, education, and health services, retail trade, and manufacturing. And retail sales spiked to a record high of 17.7% this week. Today in Iowa, we're reporting our own good news. Unemployment claims dropped last week by more than 3,500 and are down from a high of approximately 205,000 to under 155,000, indicating that 50,000 Iowans are back to work. Iowa's success has always been about turning obstacles into opportunities. From the Dust Bowl of the 30s to the farm crisis of the 80s to last year's record flooding, we overcome adversity together, neighbor to neighbor, community to community. Iowans have a relentless determination and an uncommon resilience that makes us look beyond today's bumps in the roads and see tomorrow's path to make our state and our lives even better. From the earliest days of this global pandemic, we've taken decisive action to protect the health and safety of Iowans, and we also took critical steps to protect Iowa workers, businesses, and the economy that supports them. Our three-phase approach in responding to COVID-19 has been to stabilize, and with incredible collaboration between our health care systems, um, our public health and EMAs, both state and local, we accomplished what we wanted to do by flattening the curve, protecting Iowans, and really um, minimizing um, the, the chance of overwhelming our health care system, which allowed us to move into recovery which, with which our capacity to test with Test Iowa and the State Hygienic Lab, our robust contact investigation data and website has now allowed us to move into the next phase, which is grow, where we'll, we'll begin to reevaluate, learn, and to look for opportunities to deliver services to Iowans in a more efficient and effective manner. Although COVID-19 um, as a is Although COVID-19 as a public health concern is not over and we continue to manage it every day, we're well into the recovery phase. And with the beginning of a robust recovery underway, we can approach Iowa's comeback in a number of ways. Before COVID-19, we had a vibrant economy with low unemployment, high workforce participation rate, a robust housing sector, and we had jobs looking for people in almost every single corner of our state. While our farm economy had struggled for several years, it was beginning to stabilize with new trade agreements and markets opening up. Our goal can simply be to return to where we were, with an, which is an ambitious and realistic goal, or we can think bigger and better. And I am a firm believer that obstacles create opportunities. The post-COVID-19 won't be the same as the pre-COVID-19 world. We've all learned how to use Zoom to do everything, from catching up with our grandkids to conduct local board of adjustment meetings. Education, healthcare, and so many other sectors of our economy were forced almost overnight to innovate and adapt to survive. Restaurants and retailers had to quickly find ways to keep the customers coming, whether that meant offering delivery and online ordering or developing an entirely new line of products. Our, our economic comeback is not just about yesterday's goals. It's an amazing opportunity for us to build a better Iowa, to modernize our economy, our education and healthcare systems, our workforce, and our quality of life.
Today, by executive order, I am establishing the Governor's Economic Recovery Advisory Board. And this will help us chart a course for Iowa's economic comeback and really capitalize on the opportunities created by the new normal that we've all been talking about for the last few months. This board will be our economic tip of the spear, looking across the spectrum of Iowa businesses and industries and nonprofit organizations to assess the economic impact of COVID-19 and those whose livelihoods have been hit hard by this pandemic, to analyze and recommend recovery and growth efforts, and to identify the opportunities these changes have opened for us to build the next generation of Iowa's economic and work, uh, Iowa's economy and workforce. Their work isn't just about moving the economic dial, but also about ensuring the future prosperity of our state is widespread and reaches those workers and communities who too often feel left out even when times are good. This advisory board has an ambitious mission, and I anticipate its work will help set the foundation for our legislative agenda in 2021. Today, I am really pleased to announce that I have appointed Ben McLean, the CEO of Ruan Transportation, to chair my Economic Recovery Advisory Board. Ben will be joined by, an, by other equally accomplished business leaders from all corners of our state, including Mary Andringa from Vermeer, Adam Wright, Mid-American Energy, A.J. Loss with Bush Construction, Barbara Sloniker, Sloniker, excuse me, Siouxland Chamber, Dan Houston, Principal Financial, Diane Young, Foundation Analytical Lab, Dr. Suresh Gunashat-Kiran of the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, Emily Smith with Sukup, Nick Bodish with Elite Octane, Randy Edeker with Hy-Vee, and Rosalind Fox with John Deere. This impressive group of business leaders will provide the level of expertise that we need to propel our recovery efforts forward and position us well for growth. This, uh, they will be joined by state agency directors and other private and nonprofit private sector professionals who will make up a number of working groups dedicated to specific areas of, that influence our overall economy. So I've asked Ben to join me this morning and share his perspective of having led Ruan through this unprecedented time and how the business lessons learned can benefit our overall economic recovery. Ben? Thank you, Governor, for the opportunity to be here today. And thank you so very much sincerely for your leadership over these past several months as our, as our country in Iowa has confronted so many things. Uh, I appreciate your vision in creating the Governor's Economic Recovery Advisory Board, and I'm honored to be named the chair. Uh, I pledge to you, Governor, and to all Iowans that the advisory board will work diligently to generate innovative strategies, policy solutions, and other ideas to grow Iowa's economy and create jobs and opportunities for Iowans. In making this pledge, I do want to recognize and acknowledge that there are immense challenges that many Iowans are facing today. And as the Governor just stated, Iowans have always been resilient. Even in the toughest times, we do not shy away from a challenge. Instead, we persevere. We innovate, we engineer, we implement systems that will enable us to emerge from difficult times stronger than we've ever been before. And this time will be no different. Through the pandemic, our businesses, many businesses, were forced to rapidly adapt, uh, both to keep people safe, but also to continue to serve customers. 
We changed processes. We implemented technologies in so many new ways. And most importantly, perhaps, we empowered the creativity of our people. In our own business at Ruan, we saw many supply chains grind to a halt around the country as business closures affected manufacturing plants, uh, retailers, other customers. Uh, and at the same time, we were fortunate to deliver groceries to many grocery stores, to deliver medical supplies to hospitals. And these supply chains were heavily inundated with high volumes and a number of constraints of their own. And I will forever be grateful to our people for the way that they responded to these challenges. Despite being separated like never before, we've all been separated through this like we never imagined, our people came together, they collaborated, they innovated, and they solved problems. They created technology enhancements, in some cases literally on the fly overnight, that allowed our company to have much better analytical views and visibility into our fleets across the country. All of our drivers, all of our trucks, demand and supply. Uh, they used these to keep essential supply chains moving. Um, they used these to allow drivers who were interested and willing to continue to work, support their families, support themselves. You may know our company was started by our very first driver. His name was John Ruan Sr. Uh, he would be so very proud of the way that our professional drivers stepped up to answer the call to serve our country, to serve so many of their fellow citizens with essential supplies over the past several months. So we have this advisory board that the governor just announced comprised, composed of an excellent set of leaders and businesses. They'll all have their own stories, their own experiences, their own challenges. Certainly I shared some positives. We had, we had many wins and we struggled and we endured some pain as well. But through all those things, uh, we can use those experiences to move Iowa's economy forward. Uh, we can use those things to create a better Iowa in the future. And so I'm honored to be working with this incredibly capable team of business leaders that will serve on the governor's economic recovery advisory board. But I want to make it clear today, the advisory board is looking for ideas from all Iowans. Anybody that has an idea, we want to understand what it is and what it can do for our state. So no idea or no solution is off the table. The entire goal of the board is about taking those ideas, identifying the very best ones, and putting them forward in a way that helps us modernize and improve our economy, our healthcare systems, and our educational environment. This is about the future. This is about taking an incredibly difficult time and an incredibly difficult situ situation and using it as an opportunity to make Iowa a better place to live, to work, and to raise a family. And when I say that, I mean for every Iowan and every family. We are Iowans and we are united in this cause. Governor, thank you again for your leadership and for, your opportunity to, for my opportunity to be here today. I'm honored and we are excited to get to work. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that very much. And I think the story that you just shared about Ruan and what you've dealt with throughout the pan pandemic, I think embodies the stories of Iowa businesses all across the state. So I'm so grateful to bring all of those together and really talk about how we can, through solutions and technology and innovation, continue to build on the good work that was being done in this state to take high Iowa to even higher levels. So thanks uh, for being a part of this. Thanks for leading it. I know everybody is extremely 
extremely busy, but I'm very excited to get started and uh, look forward to working with you. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. So our ability to bring Iowa's economy back is really contingent upon how effective we can continue to mitigate, manage, and contain COVID-19 over time. Iowans have proven that they're willing and able to do their part, and we've seen the difference that that can make. Nearly 240,000 Iowans have now been tested, a per capita rate of 1 in 13 Iowans. And our positive, our positive cases continue to trend down. Our positivity rates have gone from almost 30 a high of 30% in mid-April to 10.3%. Yesterday's positivity rate was 5.5%. We've also seen a consistent downward trend in hospitalizations since May 6th, when we hit our highest point at 417 patients hospitalized. Today, there are 176 Iowans hospitalized with COVID-19 and 63 patients in ICU. Positive cases among long-term care residents and staff are also tending, trending down. By tomorrow, a total of 21 long-term care facilities where outbreaks occurred have had 28 days without new cases and, have, and will have been removed from outbreak status. We continue to gather more data and learn more about the virus in Iowa. And I am committed, as I, as I committed from the start, when new information becomes available that will be helpful to Iowans, we will share it. Later today, we'll be updating coronavirus.iowa.gov with additional information about outcomes, including recoveries and deaths. This new section on the site will provide more details, including the total number of recoveries and deaths broken down by county and demographics, including age, gender, ethnicity, and race. It will also provide data on recoveries and deaths by pre-existing conditions. With this new data, we know that nearly 70% of Iowans who've died of COVID-19 had a chronic health condition. While every death is tragic and heartbreaking for the families who have lost a loved one, understanding these details about COVID-19 can help clearly identify populations at risk and target our efforts appropriately. Again, this update to the website will take place later this afternoon. Testing opportunities continue to open up across Iowa. Next week, we'll have three more Test Iowa Clinic sites that will be opening across the state. Monday, sites will open, in Dickinson, will open at the Dickinson County Fairgrounds in Spirit Lake and in Dubuque at Epic Health and Wellness Clinic. And then on Tuesday, another site will open in Atlantic at Cass County Health Systems. Residents in these areas who are interested in being tested should go to the testiowa.com, complete the assessment, and schedule an appointment. And finally, today will be my last televised press conference. I want to thank some special people who've been instrumental in making it possible for me to reach so many Iowans and keep them informed over the last few months. Tay Lancaster, thank you for making my words visual so I could communicate with the deaf and hearing impaired through America Sign Language. I am extremely grateful to your help. Uh, Ernest Neil Morcia and Vanessa Marcon O'Kelly, thank you for translating my press conferences into Spanish live and in the moment. And of course, Iowa PBS, a heartfelt thank 
Thank you to Andrew Batt, Senior Producer and Director, for working with your team and mine to bring our updates into the homes of Iowans. Chad Aubrey, Mobile Productions truck, truck Engineer, who made sure that all of the audio and video reached satellites every day at Seahawk and from the Capitol. And last but not least, Rick Fuller, to the man behind the camera, Rick deserves some special recognition today. After 19 years of dedicated uh, service to Iowa PBS, Rick will be retiring on July 2nd. He started as a camera operator and then moved to the to field videographer while, where he worked on various documentaries and features across Iowa and the country. Congratulations, Rick, and on behalf of my team and Iowans, we wish you all the best in your retirement, and it has been an extreme pleasure working with you. So next week, um, I'll return to my normal schedule with uh, one press conference each week. We'll announce the day and time through my public schedule, and you can continue to watch them uh, through my live Facebook page at Iowa uh, at IA Governor. And so with that, we will open it up for questions. Governor, while you note that there have been some positive trends like the downward hospitalizations um, in, the, in the state overall, there have been spikes, continued spikes in rural areas like Dickinson County, Univista County, um, kind of showing that the state wasn't able to get out ahead of them. The spikes are already happening and you're more reacting to them. Do you have any plans to change your strategy and in, in, in like actually trying to prevent those spikes? Yeah, from I say actually we are reacting to them. So when we start to see a spike or we know maybe there's a manufacturing or business that could be a potential hotspot, then we move testing in there and we do very aggressive testing, whether that's through um, the PCR diagnostic or sometimes through serology or both. And it really does allow us to get in there, start the testing, identify who's positive and who's negative, start to you know uh, uh, inform the community and the businesses. So most importantly, we can keep them up and going, but protect the health and well-being of their employees. And it's been really instrumental in us being able to provide employees the confidence that they expect and need when they go back to work, uh, to not only know that they have the appropriate PPE in place, but also to know that uh, with the testing, who's been tested negative and who's been tested positive, we can separate the lines uh, and really uh, move forward through, through that perspective. I don't know, Dr. Padati, do you want to talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah. Thank you, Governor. You know, I think it's a great question. And again, I think I would add by saying, you know, of course, I don't ever want anybody to be sick. Um, but I think that when we see those numbers, in some ways, that's telling us that what we're doing are directing our resources appropriately, right? So part of what we want to do when we start to hear about people who are ill is offer support. And we do that in public health in a variety of ways. We do that by offering control measures like telling people to stay home when you're sick and stay home if you're exposed to somebody who is sick, and then also evaluating the people you've been around and directing the testing resources that we've been able to increase across the state in those areas. And so when you find those numbers, you know, again, of course, you know, I wish that nobody was sick at all, but having that information helps us to know what's going on, helps us to further direct those tools, further um, provide resources so that people have that information and they know what to do to take care of themselves and their families and their communities. 
Thank you, Dr. Patati. I think it's important to remember that we never guaranteed that anybody would not get COVID-19, but our goal was to really identify those most vulnerable, vulnerable and make sure that we were doing everything to protect them. And that still applies. If you are uh, a vulnerable Iowan over the age of 65 and or have underlying conditions, you still need to be very mindful of your health and when you go out in public to wear a face covering. So the same strategy, I think, applies from day one when we stood at this podium and started talking to Iowans about COVID-19 and how we address and manage it. Along those lines, Governor, some other states are seeing some, some big increases in, in numbers, Texas and Florida among them. Are you confident that that's not going to happen here and, and possibly, especially as you're talking about, you know, moving the economic recovery ahead and talking about this, um, uh, this new board, uh, are you confident that the, the Iowa isn't in danger of having a similar spike and threatening that economic yeah. recovery? Well, every state is testing more, so that is a component of it. So as you begin testing more and as you start doing strategic testing and surveillance testing, which means you go into areas where you think there potentially could be an outbreak or a surge or a spike, so to try to get ahead of it, almost every governor across this country is trying to look for ways that they can do the type of testing, quite honestly, that we've been able to do in the state of Iowa. And, you know, we are one of the few states that have partnered so well with our state hygienic lab, and that partnership with the state hygienic lab and test Iowa has been incredible. And now, Erin, um, to see the clinics that we're setting up in rural Iowa, that's a way that we'll continue to, we'll be able to continue to manage and monitor it. The data, the analytics, and the website that we have been able to put together through Test Iowa has been a I don't know, significant resource for our epidemiologist team, for them to look at the data, analyze it right down to a zip code to, again, try to keep Iowans informed about what's happening in their communities and to continue to put additional information on the website so that Iowans can see for themselves what's happening in their communities. So we're just going to do like we do every day. We're going to continue to manage and, and uh, 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 do everything that we can to contain the virus. Lost my train of thought there. Um, and and so, so that's not going to change. They're going to continue to do what they're doing on a daily basis. And I'm confident. I tell you, as I go to these businesses, it's so incredible to see what they were doing. Winnebago is a great example. They are really doing everything that they can to protect their employees. They break face coverings and just um, high, uh, practicing good hygiene and, and making sure that the surfaces are cleansed. And I'm seeing that really um, just when I travel around the state with all businesses. Governor, in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey previously did not allow local officials to mandate mask wearing for mm -hmm. counties and whatnot. He now walked back on that since there's a significant spike in that state. But in, of course, it's a different degree here, but in counties where there are seeing some rise, like Story County, Dickinson, would you be open to allowing local county officials to mandate mask wearing for the public? Well, you know, so we're going to deal with the data that we have in Iowa, and we're going to base our um, recommendations on what we're seeing happening on the ground. We've said all along, you know, that individuals are responsible. I trust Iowans. I trust our businesses. They're doing the right thing to not only take care of their employees, but to also take care of their customers and their clients that come in. And so Iowans need to decide that. The more information that we give them, then personally they can make the decision whether they feel that they need to wear a mask or not. If you're social distancing and it 
it's not an issue, it's not necessary. If you're out and about and that's a concern of yours, then you should have a face covering with you that, so that you can put that on. I don't know, do you want to add anything too? Okay. So, you know, I th Iowans can make those decisions for themselves. We don't know the health of every Iowans or if they have underlying conditions. So the best thing I think that we can do is provide them the information, educate them. The Department of Public Health has put great guidance out there for, um, for from various um, sectors to help people make the decision so that they can do the right thing. Can I ask you a quick question on that, and then I want to ask you about the um, executive order. Okay. But on, on the uh, current proclamation, do you expect to let that in the emergency proclamation that that guides you know all of these COVID things? I think it ends next. Is it next week or the 27th or whatever? 27th. Do you do you expect to let that expire then? So or? I just will continue to wait. So you know it changes so much, and we're continuing to just see really positive things. My um, expectation is for pieces of it that it'll stay in place through the end of the year. Um, you know, because just with some of the regulatory until we can, you know, really manage as businesses start to open up and we start to kind of get our feet underneath us, there's probably some aspects of it that I think it makes sense, you know, to keep in there. But, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm, we're going to sit down and we're going to go through that like we do every week and take a look at what next steps look like. And then we'll we'll let you all know through a, through a press conference. All right, that was uh, Governor Kim Reynolds, and she made our decision for us, Trent. Yes, yeah. Uh, her final press conference, and uh, so that will obviously end what we've been bringing to you uh, in this time slot. Uh, we're going to bring Pete Mundo next. A little Big 12 conversation. A lot going on. There is. You want to say what's going on in Texas? Well, you don't want to say it after yesterday's uh, issue with Orlando? Right. 13, was that the number? I, well, see, I was hoping you would get it right. I, I don't believe that is the number. <laughs> uh, I was scrolling through, and I, I don't have it up on Twitter currently. But, yeah, there was a, a report. Uh, a a significant number. outbreak inside the, the Texas Longhorn football program. Now, one part that, again, we don't know is... It is 13. How many of these players are symptomatic as opposed to asymptomatic? How many of these... And then when All we hear self-isolated and... Yes. Um, Asymptomatic. That's a this part is of it. For Brian Davis, yeah. and we're not talking about a group of eight-year-olds. No, we're talking absolutely. about a young group That's, of men that are eighteen to twenty-three. No question about it. All right, we'll take a time out. We will talk Big Twelve with Pete Mundo coming up. Miller and Condon till noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, fourteen sixty KXNO, one hundred six point. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Time to talk some Big 12 friend of the program, Pete Mundo. We also have Matt Postens from this very fine website on uh, every other week as well. And Pete joins us. Pete, Trenton, Ken in Des Moines. Thanks for coming on, Pete Mundo. How are you? We are doing well, guys. Begging for uh, some sports, some college football, but at least we're getting closer where it's uh, not taboo to talk about the season anymore, and uh, we can start previewing things a little bit. I I'm with you, except for the news that just came out on Texas, 13 positives. Uh, if, if this was the middle of September and 13 uh, uh, members of the Longhorns would have been diagnosed here, uh, say, the middle of the week, 
would they have had to cancel? I mean, we don't know this, right? We don't, but it sure seems likely that whoever they were going to play this upcoming Saturday, uh, that game would either be postponed or canceled. Don't you think, Pete? Um, I, I can see that argument. I mean, I don't believe that would be the case. You know, you have enough guys on scholarship to certainly field the team uh, without knowing who those 13 are. If it's 13 third stringers, it really doesn't affect anything. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, but I understand what you're saying there. But this is why it's so important, and it always was so important, to get these guys back on campus as soon as possible because now you can keep them under your watch in a relative bubble. Uh, you know, I, I know in Kansas State they had, I believe it was six positives the past couple of days, and all of them came from out of state. They did not get it in Manhattan. Now that they're in Manhattan, they're going to be around the same people every day, working out, eating, training, practicing. Uh, the likelihood of that happening actually goes down. So now that you've got these guys in your environment, you can control what that environment is. I never like the idea of saying, can't bring the players back, can't do it, because you know we don't know what's going to happen. You got them back now. They're testing positive. You quarantine. You get them back into a flow. Oh, you waiting till July 1st? made no sense to me because all you're doing is delaying the process that's happening right now and we know that people that are young most of these guys test positive but they were like i i, I feel fine everything's okay mm, true um it's just it's 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 not what some people are making it out to be and it's better that it's happening now i, I think you're really a great point on that one and we're still two and a half months away from the start of the season. Better now than then. Better now for the people if it does turn out where this is something that you do not get again that has you know the, the medical part of that happening now and the testing that happens. Because if, if you're bringing people from back from around the country in different areas and different hot spots, it makes a whole lot more sense. I know Ken... Ken, every time he sees one of these, oh, oh, another eight players here, another 13, and he gets nervous about it. Is this, we've talked a lot about the new normal. Is this the new normal that we as sports fans have to understand? These stories are going to come out, but it doesn't mean the death knell of the sport. No, it not only doesn't mean that, Trent, it really, I mean, it doesn't mean a lot of anything. And I don't, I don't mean that to make light of the virus. Mm-hmm. It's obviously very serious. It has killed 100,000 people in this country. I'm not making light of it at all. But we do know that the impact on young people is slim to none. Uh, So they don't know they have it in many cases. If they do, you get the flu-like symptoms. You get a couple of the symptoms. You quarantine them. You don't want it to spread to a coach, certainly, who might be 60-some-odd years old and have a pre-existing condition or be overweight. That's where I'm more concerned. But this is the new normal. Testing often is the new normal. But it's also why getting these guys back to campus, to my point, is so important. I'd rather my guys be around each other, knowing where they've been, um, knowing who they're interacting with, and saying, yeah, go work out at your local YMCA and lift some weights at uh, Planet Fitness, although that may be a bad example because they're going bankrupt, but you get the point. You know, going to these places, touching everything under the sun, and then being like, we'll see you in mid-August, and by then you got a game in two weeks. So mm-hmm. this is okay. I really don't think we should overreact to it. Um, and it is just part of the new normal. And, and making sure that we uh, 
get these things under control as quickly as possible. And we've learned a lot about that across this country over the last several weeks. No doubt about it. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Pete, I know that you've got your, uh, you're ranking the top non-conference games uh, in uh, in the Big 12 this year at 10 is Oklahoma and Army. Pete, there seemed at least yesterday to, to be uh, the chatter kind of perked up again that non-conference games may not happen if indeed, you know, worst case scenario that we're, I believe we're going to play football. I do. But I do believe that there's a chance uh, that it might be conference games only. Have you heard that, that like the Big 12 just might play each other? It'd be a nine game season. They're going to get it in uh, because they have to get it in. Well, I haven't heard that um, necessarily. I know it's been floated out there. I've not heard it with any more uh, clarity than what we've all heard. It. Uh, we, we do know that, like KU announced, uh, after Thanksgiving, everyone's going home till February 1st. So is it possible that you end up with a situation where there's no football after Thanksgiving and we got to get a conference championship game in before Thanksgiving so we got to shorten the schedule, eliminate a couple of bye weeks? Maybe. But I think that the Power Fives are sympathetic to the fact that you know, those FBS, FCS games they play where they cut a big old yep. check to these FCS schools, those float, those athletic departments for, you know, the entire year, uh, you will ruin an entire division of college football uh, by eliminating those games. And I don't like them. I really don't. They're, you know, I don't need to see OU beat, uh, you know, Monroe State 72-6. to Like, I don't need to see it. But I understand from the financial point for uh, the colleges, it's very important. So I don't think we're there yet. I, I really don't. If anything, we eliminate a couple of bye weeks and uh, we get the season in as quickly as we can and go from there uh, by Thanksgiving, maybe even start the season. I don't know how feasible this would be, but start the season a week early so we're done by Thanksgiving. Um And then maybe eliminate bowl games outside of the college football playoff. I have no idea. It's all speculation right now. And anybody telling you that isn't a commissioner, that they know what's going on, is, I think, for the most part, full of hot air. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Pete Mundo joining us. Heartland College Sports is where you can find his work. Pete, our first seven, eight minutes of our conversation here today has been about the COVID side of things. Well, let's head to Stillwater, where Eesh. another part of what's been happening over the last few months in our country really came to a head. Chuba Hubbard uh, comes out with very direct comments about Mike Gundy. There's been a lot going on there. Your overall viewpoint of what you see in Stillwater in the Oklahoma State football program. Oh, man. Well, you know, I want to root for both guys here, and I think if we can, if they can come together on something and, and it's for the greater good, uh, that's a benefit for both men, it's a benefit for Stillwater as a community. It's a benefit for the Oklahoma State football program. Uh, good can come out of this. Good can come out of any situation. I have always believed that, even though you know that theory has certainly been tested across this uh, country the last several weeks and couple of months. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and praise a guy who was upset with his coach and was upset with somebody and aired his grievances on social media. Uh, besides the fact that grown men wearing T-shirts should not upset other grown men. Um, if that thing was so bothersome to Chuba Hubbard, you take it to your head coach. Now, 
Yeah, but hang on a second, Pete. That doesn't necessarily mean that the head coach is going to do anything. I mean, we saw it over here at Iowa, right? We're we're going through it now, and and the belief is here, at least it is in this chair, that Iowa, who's got that Fort Kinnick moniker, uh, and they just uh, they they come about that honestly. If they wouldn't have become gone public, do you honestly believe that Oklahoma State would have made this public? Because I don't. Well, you're making my point. You don't know. We don't know. Well, I do know because he did go public on Twitter, and it did hit the fan, causing it to go public. So we do know in this case. No, we don't. We don't know because Trevor Hubbard never went to Mike Gundy. If he went to Mike Gundy and then Mike Gundy told him to take a hike, I have no issues going on Twitter. I have no issue whatsoever. None at all. But that's not what happened here. So you can't tell me that that would have happened and Mike Gundy would have told him to get lost. We don't know that. If that played out, if he went to Mike Gundy and said, listen, Coach, I don't like this shirt. I've got some issues here. Look, can we talk this through? Can you hear me out, please? And Mike Gundy said, take a hike, buddy. Then, of course, you blast him on social media. You've got the platform to do it. I would support you 100%. But because something happened in Iowa like it did has nothing to do with what would have happened in Oklahoma State. And there's no evidence to point to that that would have happened. Common sense, uh, at least that's how I see it. I mean, we know that James Daniels got this whole ball rolling. Then the flood of players coming in, I think it turned out to be 50. Chubba Hubbard went public very quickly. A number of his teammates and former, uh, former players at Oklahoma State went forward. I think, I think the players have, for once, they now have a tool. They now have a little power because they have that threat with them. Exactly, and use it as a threat. You use it as a threat. I don't understand why you would use, why you would go to something when you haven't even tried the adult response. Well, because of maybe Mike approach. Gundy's body of work over the years. I mean, Chubba, this couldn't have been a one-off, and we know it wasn't. This had to be going on at Oklahoma State. And I'm not just saying Oklahoma State. I'm assuming there's handfuls of these schools that are, that are walking around on eggshells waiting for, you know, when's it going to be our turn? Is today the day that somebody's going to come forward? I just think that you there had, there, there came a point to Hubbard uh, that he thought, you know what, this is my this is my only course of action, as it was here in Iowa. I don't believe for a second that if James Daniels at Iowa, and I get it, I, your point's well taken, just because it happened at Iowa doesn't mean it's going to happen at Oklahoma State. After reading about Mike Gundy and seeing the history, again, uh, one person's history or, or a number of players' history on Mike Gundy, I don't believe that they thought there would have been change had they not gone to social media. I mean, we're debating something that neither of us can answer. It's it's really it's a pissing contest that you yep, don't have an answer point. to, and, and I don't. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm arguing that adults go to adults first and try to hash it out, and if not, you have it. Then you go to social media and you use your platform. So I'm not – I think we're arguing two different points, um, and there's the point you're making you can't prove. Fair enough. Let, let's uh, stick over and jump to basketball and Oklahoma State. Boy, the hits have been coming here for the last uh, week and a half, going back to the basketball program. A level one violation, one, for not a huge payment in, in terms of what we've we've heard overall. Where you are, the Kansas Jayhawks, not too far away, have five sitting in front of them. Ultimately, what do you expect, what do Kansas people expect is going to be the course for Kansas basketball? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I have not followed this this story as closely as Sarah Guy Matthew Poston, um, but I'll tell you what. 
KU, it certainly looks like if you're a fan of K-State or anybody else in the Big 12 for that matter, and uh, you're looking at what happened to Oklahoma State, and then you're looking at KU, well, KU better get hammered, right? I mean, KU, if Oklahoma State is losing a full postseason out of this, KU better get hammered. But it seems like every single time something like this happens, KU gets let off the hook. I mean, who, who is it? Uh, Denny Green, we let him off the hook. I mean, that's, that's what this feels like in in many ways uh, because every time they find a way out. And I think that college basketball fans across the country, across the Big 12, have a right to be frustrated by that. Um, but if the precedent has been set by what happened to Oklahoma State with a postseason ban, now I know it's going to be appealed and maybe that gets overturned, but man, oh man, uh, the hammer should be laid down on KU much harder if you were to fairly compare these two instances. One more for me, uh, Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. Pete, the odds for the Big 12 came out once two days ago, 10. Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were looking at the slate to win the conference, and sure, Oklahoma's going to be very difficult to beat. But if you do like to dabble and you're looking for a price, TCU, I don't know why they're not getting at least from where I sit, the, the respect that I think that this team deserves this year. I think that this is a dark horse chance uh, to maybe upset the apple cart in the Big 12. I know people point to uh, to Max Duggan, the quarterback, but man, he was a true freshman last year. Uh, I think he's going to take the necessary step forward. I think TCU, not a sleeping giant in the Big 12, but I think that they're one of those outsiders that you have to take into consideration. I totally agree. Um with TCU, if you want to get your money's worth, I mean, you know, you can't say, I'm going to bet on OU. I mean, right. there's no value there. Uh, you know, Texas is back. We've heard that for a decade straight. I'm not going there, even though I think that, you know, they could have a good shot. And then Oklahoma State can't get over the bedlam hump, it seems like. Gundy's 2-13 and 13 against OU, so I don't see a lot of value there necessarily, especially since they'll be uh, a top, you know, three preseason pick. The value is Iowa State or TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I probably say more value on Iowa State uh, just because of you know who's that quarterback. You just talked about Max Duggan, and he got better. But, man, Max Duggan, I mean, the guy was good on his feet with his wheels. Uh, maybe Jerry Kill, who's brought in to kind of be the head coach of the offense, can turn things around. He's very close, longtime friends with Gary Patterson. But I, the problem for Gary Patterson, time and time again, has been his offense, even – Ever since Trevon Boykin was quarterback, like Kenny Hill got him to a Big 12 title game, but I don't want to say it was in spite of Kenny Hill, but it certainly was not because of Kenny Hill. Uh, and Max Duggan, that you know, you guys know him well from up there in the mm-hmm. state from his high school days. I, I just got to see, I got to see a big leap uh, from him this year. And considering he's losing top NFL draft picks like Jalen Rager and Lucas Niang, who fell the third round, I believe it was, on offensive line, who probably should have been a first round pick if he was healthy. When, when you lose guys like that from that side of the ball, um, as much as you love the coaching staff, it's going to be tough. So if they can put it together on offense, I love the value on TCU, but I would put more value if I'm looking for a, a dark horse or at least the middle of the pack team on, uh, on Iowa State. Yeah, I'd much rather have Purdy. I agree with you. Spirited conversation, Pete Mundo. Thank you, as always. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll talk to you in the weeks ahead. Thanks, Pete. Hey. My pleasure, guys. Always appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Talk, talk to you soon. Pete Mundo from Heartland College Sports here uh, as we talk a little bit of Big 12 football. So uh, you mentioned TCU. Did you see, I think it was late last week, maybe over the weekend, Gary Patterson has come out with a country song? <laughs> oh, yes. No, I have. I, I, I swear to everything holy. 
The, the, the Gary Patterson? The Gary Patterson. This is on his Twitter page. This is on TCU Football's Jerry Twitter Kill on ca- backup vocals? Or? Well, you ready for a little listen? Yes, lay it on me. Take a step back. That's him. Take a look That's at your him. life. Hug your children. Kiss your wife. Know your neighbor. Leave the keys in your truck. Do yourself a favor. Try your luck. Dance for me, folks. Honky Tonk in Texas. Yeah. Back. I hate to say it. That's not bad. It's, it is. So much better than I anticipated. Put it in the rotation, in the bump rotation. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get it downloaded in there, and we can listen to Patterson coming back from a break. He's pretty good. That's for sure. Who's next in the Big 12 for one of these? Who do you want to hear? Oh, well, maybe Gundy before kind of everything has hit the fan for him lately. I, I'm sure he's he's got some country to him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I could imagine Matt Campbell. Doing something like this? I, I couldn't imagine Gary Patterson doing something like Very that. Very so true. That was actually pretty good, Trent. Climbing? Less miles? He would try. Yeah. I don't think it would be very good. No, that, that would be the one. That now, would be the one. Now we need a, a country song, maybe with a little Cajun twist with Coach O. So, so yeah. Has <laughs> he only got the one song? Just the one in? song. That's all that I've seen. I, I don't know. And I, I want to do a little research on the backstory <laughs> here. If, you know, growing up, he always... Was a singer, you know, he, yeah. he was in chorus growing up and he was in a band or something like that. There has to be more to this than mm-hmm. he just decided just, uh, he strums on the side and he's going to come out with the song. Pretty good. Does he have a roadie that follows him around with the towel like right. he does on the sideline? Boy, never, this, he sweats like crazy. Yes, he does. Uh, do we have to take another break? Or no, what we're we good. We can uh, take it up here our last oh, couple gotcha. of minutes before we bounce on out and uh, right. get ready for a Friday, huh? Indeed. Uh, this is, should be the opening round of the U.S. Open, but sadly, that's not the case. Yeah, true. What is it, the RBC Classic um, Heritage yes, going yes. on right now? I thought I think it was Jordan Spieth birdied eight of nine holes, Oof. but he had a triple bogey on his card. He birdied eight of the uh, eight of the holes on the back nine. Shot twenty nine on the back, but had that triple bogey on the front nine. Anyways, uh, fun stuff today. Thank you to uh, Pete Mundo. Thank you to Mark Morehouse, and thank you to Scott Miller, and thank you to you for tuning in here. We'll be back tomorrow. We're ten to noon. Uh, the Fanatics, well, first of all, we got Murph and Andy at 2, then the Fanatics at 4. Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Thanks for being here. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.